Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. Rumored that we're on iHeartRadio and other platforms as well, but those are the ones that I know I stream to. So, hey, everybody, uh, we are going to have another hour of podcasting greatness here, and we are going to tackle the subject of apostasy head on. And obviously, I'm an apostate. Most ex, uh, well, all you know of the ex Scientologists I've interviewed, ex JWs, ex Mormons, ex this, ex that. They're all apostates. And apostasy and apostates is a um, sometimes used as a bad word. Uh, Scientology has certainly uh, positioned this as a bad, bad thing. And I've talked often, railed against the fact that in the academic world especially, we seem to have a real bias problem with apostates and with people, former members of religious groups, destructive cults. Um, we have a problem with, um, you know, people like James R. Lewis, uh, who wrote this whole, you know, Scientology book. And um, they basically will just flat out say apostates can't be believed, cannot be listened to, cannot be utilized in order to better understand the groups from which they came, which on the most casual of inspection is the most ridiculous assertion you could possibly make because you can't just look at all the pros or promotional material that comes out of some of these groups and believe that that's all there is. You know, a, a well-rounded look at a group includes looking at its critics as well as its, uh, you know, its, its uh, the, the people who support it. <laughs> and in the case of uh, academia, this has been a problem that has existed for a really long time and still exists. So it was um, with some surprise and happiness that I was contacted um, by my guest this week. And let me tell you a little bit about him. His name is Harry Parekh, and he is a uh, been working in the field of psychology, uh, actually got a master's, and wrote a paper, an academic-grade paper. This is not just some article in medium.com. And uh, in it, it is, the article is called Apostates as a Hidden Population of Abuse Victims. And that immediately caught my eye because, of course, we talk on this channel often about trauma survivors, abuse victims of destructive cults and religious groups. And um, I'm going to read you the abstract of his paper because it reads in plain enough English, I think, you guys. So I think we can all track on this. And then we're going to get into talking about this. Now, um, Harry is a graduate of the University of Nottingham in the UK. He's, uh, he's over there in Britain land. So, <laughs> but that doesn't stop us from communicating here. So let me just go over this to you, kind of set the tone of what we're going to be talking about here because we're going to be getting into... Um, you know, apostasy, how academia has, has dealt with apostasy, and how law enforcement has dealt with this, because there's a lot of problems here. And this is cross-cultural. This is not just in the UK that this is a problem. We have huge, huge problems here in the United States with this, and of course, around the world. Um, so here we go. The term apostate 
describes the term used by the religious to describe individuals raised within religious families who once identified as religious, but who have ceased to believe in the existence of God, gods, or follow their religious belief, and now identify as non-religious. Given the strong feelings families can have about the rejection of their shared faith, and the difficulty that police forces may have in identifying and understanding the complexities of violence toward the apostate, this study sought to examine the possibility that apostates represent a hidden population of abuse victims within religious households. Now, you and I both know about the fact that these abuse victims and trauma survivors are out there because we talk to them. I've had them on my show. But law enforcement doesn't seem to be aware of the fact that this is actually a problem. And I realize that this might help answer the question here in the United States and around the world, why do these groups get away with what they get away with? Why does law enforcement seem to give them a pass over and over again? Well, just getting law enforcement to believe and then understand the problem is itself a problem. And that's what we're going to talk about with this uh, as part of this paper. The study was done to actually look into this. It uh, says here, continuing on with the uh, abstract, we recruited 228 persons, 102 males, 119 females from an online survey um, from the, by the way, Harry works uh, and is involved with the Humanist UK, and it was through that group that they did this. And uh, let's see here, just skipping over a few things. It was found that persons who identified as apostates experienced more assault, i.e. harmful violence, than non-religious persons. Within this sample, Muslim apostates were significantly more likely to be victimized than Christian apostates. Disclosure of being abused for identifying as an apostate within a religious household to law enforcement was extremely uncommon, thereby preventing detection or prosecution of abusive acts committed by family members and limiting public awareness of this issue. These results are discussed in the context of the broader culture of honor-based violence. Anybody heard about honor killings? Well, that's a thing. It's a real thing. And it affects a whole lot more people than we might imagine it does. Um, and this, is, of course, occurs across Eastern Mediterranean, Middle East, North Africa, and is also seen in some Protestant Christian subcultures and common to all Abrahamic religions rather than Islam alone. This study highlights that within a multicultural society, there remain hidden populations of abuse victims who are vulnerable due to religious, cultural, and traditional constraints made by abusive family members. All right. This paper will be available as a link in the description section of this video. Harry, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. Let's go ahead, and um, I talked about your psychology background, that you're a graduate uh, with master's from uh, Nottingham University? Yeah. Okay, and your discipline was just psychology in general, or? It was um, forensic and criminological psychology, so. The Excellent. Dark. 
the good stuff, <laughs> the really interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, looking obviously looking at the difficulties of yeah criminality, forensic risk, um, that kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah, excellent. Now you are a uh, you have a Hindu background. Mm-hmm. You are yourself an apostate. I am, uh, but you were raised Hindu. How yep. now? And we talked briefly about this, but I want the audience to know what um, what is your religious background? How are you approaching this? And how did it come into your you know purview that this is something that should be talked about in academia? So raised as a Hindu, um, mom and dad are very religious as well. Um, I th- what was interesting is that I um, my aunt got married when I was young, and um, you know, the Hindu ceremonies, you have the priests and they do their thing and, you know, spend a bit of money to get them there. Um, and uh, I remember sitting next to the priest and, uh, you know, the priest is chanting the, the shlokas or the mantras um, to kind of, uh, you know, um, to get the gods to uh, bless the wedding and, and that kind of thing. And um, there he is, he's talking in Sanskrit and he's doing it. And there I am copying him word for word, verbatim as he's saying it. And um, I think my granddad once said, he was just like, you know, we could have saved a bit of money, we could have just put Harry in the middle of that, and then we would have just, it would have been easier. But that's, the religiousness was was quite, you know, it was it was accepted, I understood it. It was, it's, it's pretty much part of that that, that um, family structure. And, you know, as, as you know, when you, you know, when you're brought up within it, you, you learn it, you believe it, you accept it, you, you learn about it, you read about it. And you rationalize it so that it makes sense with society that you're in. Um, I once delivered a talk on leaving Hinduism, and um, I said, uh, AC Grading, the professor, was in the audience. And I said, um, I said, Oh, yeah, I did A level philosophy. And yeah, I tried to rationalize it to Hinduism um, and didn't succeed, and it made him laugh. And that's the point in that it, it, was, it, was, it was accepted, it's, it's, it's the norm, and it's it was part of the way that life was and I was pretty religious anyway because also we went through a uh, we went through a good 10 and 10 years plus of racism and hate crime at home so when you're when you're in the when you're in the moment of being kind of uh, criticized or kind of um, when the color of your skin and the fact of who you are and the identity of who you are is being questioned based on the fact that you don't belong here, despite being, you know, born and bred in in Nottingham itself, well, actually, what else do you have to kind of assert yourself and kind of figure out who you are? And religion's a brilliant kind of safety blanket. It's a great opportunity to kind of realign yourself and to find that level of comfort and safety that people need. So that kind of pushed forward that religiousness. Um, Didn't do well in school, didn't do well in college. Um, got through to university in Northampton um, through difficult means, but um, finished that with a first class honours in psychology and criminology. So, you know, life life turns it around. But I left my religious faith in my second year of undergraduate, um, realizing that actually, you know, as you know, when you when you're in when you as as you you know your um, audience would know if you go to university, you have those long conversations at night which mean nothing, but they happen anyway, and they're the best ones. Um, I had a conversation like that with my housemate, Tim, and it was from that conversation where 
he challenged me a lot. And actually what I realized was that a lot of the, a lot of my thoughts or the, a lot of the principles that I had were less based on the religious faith in itself or the culture or the tradition was ba just based on humanity. And those kind of principles made me realize and figure out that actually maybe it's not the religious faith that got me through, you know, the difficult times back at home and kind of got me through to where I am. Actually, maybe it was just me externalizing my issues out there into the religious faith and it still required my internal drive to want to do something about that and still carry on so when i kind of realized that and figured that out i was kind of well actually maybe maybe i'm not so religious after all um told my mom and dad over skype which was which was interesting you know um my dad's from india originally so having that conversation with my dad is obviously is it was a very tricky thing to do but they were I couldn't fault them at all. Um, they haven't wavered in how they treat me. They 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 treat me the same as they always have, um, and they still respect me the same way that they always have as well. Now, how rare is that in the Hindu culture? I mean, I'm going to admit straight up, I know almost you know nothing, or at least I feel I know almost nothing compared to the vast body of knowledge that is the Hindu religion. Um, you know, I've never cracked the Vedas. I've heard of them. I know what they are, but I've never once cracked them open and said, Hey, I want to read these things. Right. Or any of the other, you know, yeah, exactly. Right. I Hubbard in Scientology referred often to, well, not often, but often enough to the Vedas and tried right. to make it out that Scientology was built on that same framework and really? was inspired by and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so I became familiar with what these things are, but as far as the actual culture, the layout, you know, how India is, is organized, I, I can't really talk intelligently about that. How, how rare is it for <laughs> your experience to tell your folks, you know, you have this Western University education, it, it could be interpreted that you were talked out of your religion. I'm not could. saying that's what happened. I'm saying it could be interpreted that way, right? You have these long conversations with, you know, other people who are like, well, what about mm -hmm. this? They're challenging your ideas. Yeah. How did that go? I think that if you go to university and you don't do that, then have you really been? Exactly. Um, I think the same thing. I think that is <laughs> the most valuable part of university. Yeah. Is is getting yourself out there and meeting people you would never have met otherwise from even other countries and being yeah. able to get lots of different views of things. And I think that having, having that opportunity to reflect in those moments and, and come to a decision, again, leaving a religious faith isn't a decision you make overnight. It's not something that you go, ta-da, you know, I'm going to, everything's fine now, you know, this is it, this is what I decided, <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, you, um, you know, at the end of the day, being, being religious is, isn't just about, you know, going through the rituals and going through it, it's about that personal relationship that a person has with that, that sense of that belief or that God or, you know, whichever way you want to take it. Um, Hinduism is very good like that, you have the number of, you know, we have a plethora of of different ways to reach a supreme godhead and you choose the way you need you know you choose the way that works best for you based on you know some gods have different personalities and you 
find the ones that kind of work similar. Now, does leaving it and does making a statement like that and is that very normal or is that abnormal or you know what happens to an ex-Hindu? Doesn't happen. Nobody, nobody is. A, a, you know, the amount of ex-Hindus that there are. Um, I'm, I, I, I got. I mean, just look at the research. They're hidden. Um, <laughs> you only have to look at people like Sanal Edamaku, who, who basically is a rationalist from India, who, who found that, um, who, who started to crack the conspiracy theories of the of God men and, and and the various kind of miracles that are in India, and he was he's currently in exile somewhere else. Um, you only have to look at the way that people people within treat the people that question it and go, well, actually, what's going on here? Maybe it's not what we think. Um, there was a there was a um, a statue of I mean, this is interesting. I think it was a Catholic church in India. They um, they had water coming from Jesus's feet at the bottom of the cross, and they thought it was it was a holy water thing. They were spreading that around as kind of blessings from Jesus and things like that. They realized it was, um, and this is kind of where Sanal comes in because he found that it was a, um, I think it was like a sewer pipe or something that then got into, that then got came out of the feet of Jesus, something like that. And and that's what was being offered as, as prashad or as breath blessing. So again, taking a rationalistic point of view of, of thinking about things in a different way, regardless of the religious faith, at the end of the day, you're challenging the beliefs of, that people have. And then when that's forming, when that forms an identity, you're then challenging their identity formation and going, well, actually, I don't believe that to be as consistent as you might think. We're then basing our conversation of going, I don't believe, on the hope that the reaction to that is ordered or, hum or is done in a humane way. We hope it's done in that way, and many times it isn't. Within Hinduism, what you'd find is it's layered. So you might have people that might not believe in the religious uh, aspect of it per se, but it's incorporated itself within the tradition and within the culture and within family households and communities. And the way that it's kind of evolved itself from going, you know, you know, you can look, you can pick up a Bible, you pick up a Quran, and then read it through and go, okay, that's that's basically what I need to understand all the hadith or whatever um hinduism is different because the way it is is different it's the system is a lot it's completely different to that way so it's it's looking at life in a completely different way it's understanding life in a completely different way so leaving it means that you've just given up a way of life you've just given up you can't give up culture you can't give up tradition you can't leave and it's and it's going well actually what i've left is the fundamental view that I've left the belief um, to believe in that way. The culture and the traditions that, you know, the traditions are the, the rules that are enforced by dead people and the cultures are social contracts that people use to kind of keep people together. So whichever parts of that I take with me is, is based on whatever I think works with me now. Like I still love my Indian classical music and I love the Indian classical arts. Now, one would argue that it comes from the sum of it uh, and actually you can't as an apostate it's completely cognitive dissonance to enjoy the indian arts when you know the origin the origin was so many years ago like it was the first piece of text ever written the way that the, the arts have evolved you can accept the origin of things but it doesn't mean you can't then still appreciate it i went to rome in august you, 
you know, I still went to the Vatican because you can't not appreciate, do you know what I mean? You can't not take a cheap selfie of that, of uh, Michelangelo's, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the famous piece of artwork without the guards knowing that you've done it and still appreciate the fact that it's there. So I think that it's, it's a bad shtick, really, that the religion is that, you know, just because you're an apostate, you can't then take anything with you. Well, it, it would be, it would be impossible. It's, it's simply impossible. And you bring up a point that I'd like to highlight and talk about a little bit, which is the cultural, that you know, that, that I, I think some people, maybe in the atheist community, certainly how they communicate, whether they really think this way or not, um, how it's communicated is you get the impression that it's just so easy. Why do people believe in God? Why would they? Uh, it's just a silly belief, as though it exists in a vacuum, and it's just this thing yeah. that sits there, this belief in God. And you go, man, no, this has, it, I mean, because it's the same for, I, I was thinking about this from what we were talking about with, with, with Hindi and how it is an entire culture there. There's this whole cultural thing going on. Well, Islam is the same. I mean, Sharia is not just about religious belief. I mean, you're talking about economics, you're talking about family life, you're talking about all kinds of rules and structures for your entire way of life. And can we really look at the, the, the South of the United States and say that's not going on there? It's an entire culture. I mean, these are these are people who have crosses on their lawns that are like two stories high. I mean, this is these are committed people. This is not just a single simple belief. And I think that has a lot to do with some of the troubles that get caused when people renounce the, that, that single belief. They go, well, this part of it I'm not going to be doing anymore. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're renouncing all of it. Could you even, could you even renounce all of it if, you're that, if you've raised in a culture, you know, all that sort of thing? For example, I can believe that L. Ron Hubbard ain't all that anymore, but I could still walk away with his ideas of exchange in my head, that you need to exchange with people for things. And that can be good or it can be bad, depending on how extreme I am in my beliefs about that. I just wanted to point out that it's a little bit more complicated than a simple God belief or God's Uh, belief. I think you've you've touched on it really, really well in that I think that when... I mean, even I remember it because when when I left the religious faith and I realized that I feel very isolated having done so um, at university, I then started my own society to act as a support structure for people that might go through such a transition at university. Now, you know, in order to kind of, you know, and we, and at Northampton at the time, there was a very strong, you know, ISOC, Islamic society, there's a very strong Christian union the, the the thought of leaving a religious faith heck from a brown guy is is pretty unheard of technically um and there i am in the library with the islamic society and the christian union and here's me going hi i'm, I'm the uh, you know i'm the atheist humanist uh, secular society uh, here in northampton and it's kind of this um puzzlement of going what are you doing you do you not know your history and do you not know your origin do you not know you know the the that your um, the color of your skin matters here and it's like all right there's a race argument brought back again um you know and it's kind of like you're a traitor to the fact that you've left it's really it's a really interesting di- dynamic and 
interestingly in those in in that period of i think it was like two years ish you know because i had to because i ran my society and i was doing talks and whatnot and i had to kind of cement the fact that this is an actual thing that happens here you know i had to solidify that within the university or within the perception of it i was very strongly you know atheistic in my method in going you know i don't believe in it da, 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 very angry da, 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 you know but you know chris yeah you you go onto youtube and you listen to christopher hitchens enough times you kind of accept the rhetoric and you kind of work with that now i think that once that society did really really well and it was the first society to receive awards from the student union within the uk and i moved on to do my masters at nottingham as you mentioned and I started working for the student sector in Humanist UK, you know, and eventually I started running the organization, running the sector and, and kind of having a, a bigger part of that. You, you, it, it's, it's no different from going through the kind of Kubler-Ross grief cycle, right? You kind of go through that denial, the anger, the depression, the bargaining and the acceptance through, you know, through having left that religious faith or having left that belief in God or lost that attachment even relationship with with that belief that you had um and i think that when you kind of work through all of that and you come to perhaps the stage i'm in at the moment um you know i it's, i'm not as as ardently angry as i used to be and actually the amount of stuff that i used to go that's just bs or that's just this or that's just that as you as you kind of do actually you know what i've taken a lot I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more kind of lenient in my perspective and going, well actually you know i brought in half of this as well um i, I can't get rid of it uh, and actually i want to bring in half of this because it means x and it means y and it matters and it's meaningful so yeah i think the, the thought that leaving it is an easy thing why can't you just do it i mean i had a i did a talk recently at conway hall um and one of the speakers on the panel was, was christian and he was just like well you know just leaving it when i had my doubts would have been the easiest thing to do um but i chose to stick at it and it was through that rigor that that got me through it um suggesting that this was an easy decision to make and i kind of had to state really clearly that this is a really bad assumption that the religious have that this is an easy decision to make it's not you have to think about Am I going to have a family after this decision or not? Do I do I even bother doing it? I might as well just do this in my own little lives around the corner and then just do what I need to do anyway. And if nobody knows, then what difference does it make? Economically, I'm secure, or emotionally, I'm secure. Why would I go through the? Why would I go? Why would anybody go through the notions of thinking this one decision will mean that I will have no family and I will have no ties and I'll have no attachments? To the people that have brought me up if it was an easy decision to make it, it just wouldn't happen um and there are countless people out there that have had that experience as well exactly so it's not an I, easy decision. i wonder just as a general comment here i you know again we can't we, we we can't paint with too broad a brush but one wonders at people believers you know theists who talk about how easy it must be for apostates to just you know walk away leave it or whatever i think they are perhaps projecting or 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 giving up there that um that religions that religious belief is hard for them 
it's difficult for them to maintain it, to go through the cult, you know, to, to keep the cultural norms and practices and go every week, read the book, you know, memorize the, the, the scriptures and whatever. There's work there. It's yeah. some, for some people, that's very hard work. And so I imagine that they, um, uh, you know, have to make apostates into bad guys by making them the opposite. You know, well, they, well, it's just easy for you, right? It's hard for me. I, I have to go through all this, and you just get to walk away as though it's no big deal, right? I mean, it's typical in-group, out-group, you know, making the enemy yeah. out of, you know, into something that's the opposite of what you are. But it shows, I, I think, a little bit how how much work believers have to put into reinforcing the beliefs and keeping them solid and keeping them strong and keeping I mean, the rituals up and even, stuff, you know? And this is the thing, like, it doesn't end with making the decision. It, it only just begins. Exactly. So, but like, exactly. the way that I usually explain it is if you've watched Lion King, which I hope you have, um, and if any of your list, if any of the viewers or listeners haven't watched it, then watch it, pause this, go and watch it and come back. Because spoiler alert, um, the bit in Lion King where Mufasa dies and Simba is told by Scar to leave as a result and is blamed for the death of Mufasa, chased by hyenas to kill him, he actually escapes as well. You then have the scene where he's wandering through the desert for however many weeks or whatever, and he gets to the point where he just collapses. That's the apostate. That's the apostate who was once part of that clan and that herd, made a decision and, you know, Simba didn't make the decision, but he was part of it. Being told, you know, in that moment that you need to leave and you're no longer welcome here, which a lot of um, ex-Mormons, ex-JWs, ex-Scientology as well, you know, you face where you're completely excommunicated as a result of that. And then in some in some cultural states, you'll then, you know, be, you know, you'll be sent the death threats or whatever, and that represents the hyenas. And the fact that you're wandering through the desert is that you're wandering through that desert alone because all of the attachments that you had, and this is pure psychology, all of the attachments that you've had from growing up, all the ways that you've found stability with you as a human being have all just been, you know, they've all, they've all just died because they've basically gone, we, we have nothing to do with you anymore. And you're basically wandering a desert on your own. And, you know, that's where you get your mental health issues. That's where you get your increase in depression, stress, you know, isolation, suicidal thoughts, whatever. Um, Right. No wonder it's a difficult thing until you find your Timon and Pumba. So until you find that one thing that gets you out of bed and gets you going, until that point, you're literally just wondering and you're struggling and it's and it's difficult. Now, for anybody to then suggest that it's easy that, you know, you get to make, you know, you get to uh, go out and do whatever you want to do. And i got to stay home because I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Well, there's no point... If anything, if we're going to create the dichotomy, well, it's all right for you, but it's not all right for me, then that just suggests that you want to do it, but you're holding yourself back by reinvigorating why you cannot do that based on whichever part of scripture you want to use or whichever rationale you want to use. At the end of the day, if you want to do something, welcome to being human. Um, you know, I, I didn't drink when I was religious, and when I was non-religious, it took me it took me another six months or seven months to actually even have my first um, alcoholic drink because I was like, that was a big step. It takes a lot of thought. It's not a simple thing. Um, no, it's, it's not. 
It's a it's whole reacclimation a, into a different culture. It's, I mean, even going a step further, it's, it's, it's about relationships and it's about attachments. And it's, you know, if you've had that, I mean, I mean, for, you know, if you brought up within the religious faith as well, and let's say you're around what I was, you know, you're like 2021, let's say. So you've been, you've been within a system of thought for around 21 years and you've built attachments with a Godhead or with a religious belief and understood it and accepted it and provided that as the perspective that you hold and you kind of rationalize things around you to kind of make it still make sense. It's no different to being in like a, you know, a 20 year marriage or relationship. And then going, well, actually, you know what? Uh, Maybe this isn't for me because maybe I don't think the same way. And interestingly within that you might have the people that go well hang on a minute let's work through it and let's figure things out but then you'll have the people that go well actually you know what? i need to take a step back figure my you know figure stuff out and then i'll make a decision and then and enough times people will people will easily go back to the religious faith that they're in because of the stability and the security and whatnot making the jump of going this ain't for me i'm done is is a brave and it's a, it's a it's a step into the unknown the difference between a relationship is that actually you know you have to um you know you, you've still got friends and family around you that can still probably support you perhaps um whereas with this with this issue actually you're left on your own actually on your own um with no one there so it's a little bit different um in that regards but it has the same kind of emotional strings of it you know your whole life surrounded, you know, whole life surrounded that one person, for example, how do you then, how do you then, how do you then support your brain to think in a different way that makes you not think of that person the way that you used to? It's, it's, it's torture. That's right. That's right. It takes time. It takes time to deal with all of that. You and I don't... Years. It takes a long time to get through it. Yeah, exactly. I've been, I've been quote unquote recovering for, uh, seven years now, uh, and it just takes what it takes, you know, this whole acclimation, reacclimation, relearning, reindoctrinating, meeting new people, reculturizing, all of it. Um, so it's difficult, and I think we've established that it's difficult, and people who say it's a breeze or, well, I never had any problem with it because I just never believed it and stuff. Well, I, th- I tend to look at those guys as more of the, uh, uh, as the rarer cases is the ones that are that stand out to me as the more extreme examples of of atheism are the ones who oh, I, I never had any problem with this at all I, I my parents told me all this stuff i never believed it it was no big deal that's I mean, not the experience of most believers it's it's an interesting position to have um it, it comes back to this i think i think the the thought of going well you know mom and i believed it i just I just it just didn't resonate with me I've heard quite a lot of people say that, to be fair, in, in, in the amount of work that I've done um, since. The interesting thing, though, is that understanding apostasy means that you have to understand what religious belief is. Understanding what religious belief is means that you have to understand that it's not stupid. That's exactly. Exactly. That's... When you work on that premise, you then are able to appreciate what it is, why it is, how it is. Don't get me wrong. That's not 
it's like the Magic Noir's quote, every idea is above scrutiny, no person below dignity. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to scrutinize it just because I understand it. Um, what I mean by this is that understanding how religious belief works means that you have, a, you have an understanding of why somebody would. Now, ripping them off and going, it's stupidity and they just, they just need to grow up and it's just mythical beast or whatever, isn't, isn't gonna work because that's, that's ad hominem and it's targeting the person, etc. The point that I'm trying to make and I'm trying to articulate the words out is that as an apostate, I've been there. I've accepted it, I've worked with it, I've understood it, I've defended it, I've, I've, you know, I've lived it, I've read, you know, I've kn I knew the, you know, I knew the history of it, I knew the shlokas in it, I knew every little nuance within it. I breathed it. For me to then move away from that and say, I don't believe in the religious faith anymore, or anybody who believes it is just stupid. That's just a disservice to the fact that I was once there, or the fact that my mum and dad are still there, or my family are still quote unquote there, and actually, that would make me disingenuous to then hold the same view and go, well, that's just stupidity. It, it doesn't work like that. Um, you know, the, the, it, it's no different for basically saying, look, here's the world around us. I have perspective A, they have perspective B. It's time to figure things out around the world. That's the way they take it. Now, what they do with it, same with the non-religious, is a different matter. If you're going to harm somebody as a result of believing arduously and, you know, having the contention that you believe it, well, that's different from just having a perspective on the world. Then it's complicated. Exactly. Now, having established that this is a deep well, and there are lots of factors to it and all that in terms of if we're really going to talk honestly about religious belief and not just in memes, um, which we can do. I mean, there are whole shows that, that are built around that, right? Just like meme it away and, you know, everybody who's believing is just stupid and they're all idiots and blah, 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 blah. I think a lot of that probably comes out of the anger stage <laughs> of people coming out of these groups because I'll tell you, I was sure pissed for a while, you know? Uh, so I get it. I get it. Um, so the, the effort here actually is where I want to direct this back to is academia though, because hmm. this has been a big bugbear for me. Uh, as a former Scientologist specifically, I've got, I've done uh, whole videos, many, many of them, uh, breaking apart, deconstructing academic papers, uh, real published papers, peer reviewed and all, uh, by sociologists, religious scholars, psychologists on the subject of Scientology. And this is a subject that I know all about. So when they write about it, from an ivory tower academic position, I spot exactly where they are just taking the Scientology promo word for word and just reprinting it and calling it an academic paper. And validating it. Exactly. And I just shake my head and I ripped into them because that's just nonsense. That's not what academia is about or should be about is simply rewriting the promotional materials of destructive cults and then giving them a pass because dot, 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 freedom of religion. That, that, is, that is the most uh, surface level, you know, thinnest possible way of looking at any of these groups. And that's not what I believe academia should be doing. But we have a bigger problem 
way beyond just Scientology, which is apostasy in general. It is just not granted any real importance. And, and I'm totally talking from my own experience. I can't say I've you know, gone through all the literature because I don't even have access to all the literature. I'm not an academic. But the stuff I've seen that has made it out that I have looked at or, or done deep dives on has not been impressive. I understand and I completely agree with an objective view of any group and a recognition of their right to believe whatever they want. I am 100% down with that. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they have 100% pass to do whatever they want. And I think that's where we get into some confusions about, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of belief, and let's respect that versus, okay, this religious belief system, that's like Scientology. I mean, if we're going to get into the deeper stuff, which we will, honor killings and that sort of thing, we then go into the mainstream religions. But even with Scientology, they do things based on this belief system and based on their dog, dogma that is just outright destructive. Ruins people's lives, bankrupts them, tears apart families, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. This doesn't seem to get any real attention on the part of um, academia. And it seems to me that one reason why is because apostates are viewed uh, as worthless. They have axes to grind, their data is not reliable, we can't listen to them. You know, this is, this is what yeah. Lewis talks about and, and some of these other guys. And, um, and it's really, it's just such a crime to the trauma survivors of these groups when you come out of these groups with a story to tell of trauma and abuse, mm-hmm. and you're just roundly ignored by the, tr- by the people who are actually at the professional level of education on these topics, you get way more sympathy and understanding from the general public yeah. than you do from academia, right? You just brush you off. This is problematic in the extreme, which is why when you sent me your paper and I read it, I went, oh, hallelujah. Somebody's Finally. talking about this from a point of view that they actually are willing to acknowledge that there's a problem and start defining the problem. And you've defined it in a particular slant here. I went over your abstract a little bit. Why don't you tell us how you're approaching this and what this paper is about and what you're trying to accomplish? So I think I think this is the I think the the foundation for the paper, even before it even if even before it became a thing, was um, even if you go through the five stages of grief through the transition to apostasy, I was happy being Hindu. It was fine. There was no, I didn't have an issue with it. And I still kind of don't. It wasn't the, you know, big bad wolf in the corner. Don't get me wrong, I could critique it now. But within it, it wasn't a problem and I was happy within it. And using that notion, the, 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 the means for writing a paper wasn't to, or isn't to ever, Look at religious faith and go, right, that one's bad, that one's bad, that one's awful, that one's da, 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 da. it was basically saying, what are people doing? Right? Now, the way it started was there's a as you said in the in the abstract, there's an organization called Faith the Faithless. They originally worked as a as a as a, as their own organization to support apostates within the UK. And my work with Humanist UK meant that, you know, I met the founders who are in Pierre Shams and Ali Salim. Uh, 
brilliant people in their own right. And what I realized was my transition wasn't a normal transition. Um, it's kind of like an anomaly to have had a transition where families, communities, et cetera, are still okay. Um, and still, you know, so far I was on the BBC uh, on the big questions and family members saw it and I'm still fine. And it's, it's, it's nice when you go to a family gathering and they're like, I saw you on TV. And it's like, did you listen to what I said? Yeah, I listened to what you said. It makes sense. Brilliant. Um, Definitely the exception. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So interestingly despite being uh, you know despite being um despite the history of stuff it's a very privileged apostate position to be in when i haven't had those experiences i'm glad i haven't don't get me wrong but it's it's very different to the to the to the usual norm so when i started working with these guys i realized and you know i listened to the story i listened to people's kind of verbatim stories of all the things that they've been through and I'm like wow that's that's that's, you know I I don't know how you've got through that um and it was that's when I started my master's and you know it's like Harry you need to pick a topic and none of my topics were good enough and you know Vincent Egan who's the second author he was just like what are you actually interested in I was like well here's something that I do outside of all of this and you know um this is what I found and you know I know that a lot of people are being abused for this like people are actually being hurt (laughs) as a result of leaving their religious faith like you can make a you know you can you can choose a different thing and you know it's like you know you went to the supermarket and you chose apples instead of oranges and you're being damned for choosing apples it doesn't make any sense to me like there are people being hurt and nobody knows and he's like well how does nobody know I was like well there's enough activists out there that are talking about it and they because because they've gone through it there's nothing really in the academic community um and vincent is is amazing in his own right and he's like well psychologically speaking why would anybody know people don't know the academic community isn't going to know unless there's a paper out on there unless until then it's just verbatim and until then it's just an experience it's not scientifically rigorous um and he's like, do you think there's a lot of people out there? I was like, well, I'm sure of it. And that's, that was, I'm sure there are people out there. Now, to maintain scientific rigor, the argument was, was, you know, let's, let's see if there are people out there and let's see if we can find people that might have gone through difficult things as a result of leaving their religious faith. So that was... The notion wasn't to basically go, yeah, we know these people exist. Let's just put this out there and figure it out. The notion was, well, actually, let's see if this is, let's see if what the activists are saying is true worldwide and people are are being victimized as a result. So we ran with Because all of us see at patheos.com or whatever, we see reports, you know, Hemet Mata is always posting stuff about uh, people getting killed for apostasy. I mean, in the Middle East. But yeah. but those are always one-offs. They're sort of like, well, they leave an impression, but you don't really know. Yeah, you know, what are the numbers on this? I mean, is this a is this an extreme case, or is this happening every other day and it's just not being reported on? So you guys dived I, in to find out. But then on top of that, the, the 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 privilege of religion is also part of that because psychologically speaking it provides a lot of stability security support financial structure emotional you know emotional stability economic stability you know it provides so much 
um, that it would always have a good, you know, any, any system and any organization that provides all of that will always have a good, good reputation within social circles when you're trying to understand human, you know, the way that people work, um, you know, and, and no wonder it hasn't had that level of critique or that level of um, introspection and going, well, actually, how good can it, is it? And, you know, what's going on here? And as Vince always said to me, he was like, the fact that, and, it, and you know, this is after we got our data, so just jumping a bit, but the fact that there are hidden wrongdoings concealed by social norms means that we're missing victims and we're missing abuse victims and missing even one victim is more than, it's more victim than we should, it's more than, you know, we shouldn't be missing them. The fact of the matter is, therefore, is that if these social constructs and these social norms within a religious faith, community, society, are providing the conditions where this level of abuse is being missed, somebody needs to challenge that. Big so, time. Big time. Hey, everyone. I'm sure you'd agree that learning about various perspectives can help us make sense of the world as it changes every day. Our own views are often narrow and focused only on what we already know. And it's only through learning new things that we can more easily see situations from multiple points of view, something that is vital for good critical thinking. The Great Courses Plus streaming service is an excellent resource to expand our knowledge on a variety of subjects. You can gain valuable, reliable insights from some of the world's best teachers, and that's a service you definitely want to take advantage of. This is why I love The Great Courses Plus. It's a fantastic way to keep our minds active while staying close to home. Plus, you can stream to your TV to watch as a family or just watch and listen on your phone or tablet using the Great Courses Plus app while out in the garden or taking a walk around the neighborhood. I've been enjoying the Great Courses Plus variety of classes on critical thinking and have also been checking out some of the courses offered now on infectious diseases and on media manipulation. These are vital to understand the world we live in right now and will broaden your perspectives too. There's so much more to learn about the world, so start today by signing up for The Great Courses Plus. They're offering my listeners a free trial of unlimited access to the entire library. Sign up today using my special URL to start your free trial thegreatcoursesplus.com slash critical. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash critical. Sign up today. So this is where it kind of started. And we worked with Faith to Faithless. We worked with Humanist UK. We worked with the Peter Tatchell Foundation and the Council of Ex-Muslims for Britain as well. Um, so we use a number of different, we, you know, we didn't use them, but we asked a different number of organizations to, to spread out our online questionnaire that we had and they did through social media so the people that we got as a result were all from you know social media kind of um outreach and, and them basically sharing it so i'm you know uh, i salute all of those organizations for the amount of support they gave it in those initial times and we're talking back in 2015 um is when this is when you know this was um in its in its day so 
the 228 people that we got, what we found was this wasn't a British problem, this wasn't an American problem, or, you know, this wasn't just a, you know, let's just blame the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, despite, you know, you can blame them for a lot, but this isn't just one of those of those people over there, actually. There was somebody from somewhere everywhere that was basically providing me with a story of going, this is how I've been threatened, this is how I've been this, this is how I've been that. And that's how this that's how it that's how it started really. Um, now you yeah. found what did you find in terms of let's talk numbers first, just to give people an idea of like what what are we talking about? Where did you, you looked at, you know, a few hundred people? So obviously. This isn't a sample size of thousands or tens of thousands. That would be a much, much deeper study. But well, with the study that, that you did do, you found some interesting stuff. What, uh, what came up? So that's the joys of finding, that's the joys of finding hidden abuse victims and that the first, the first cohort ever to come out, come out and go, I'm waving my flag is never going to be the greatest of numbers. Um, you know, so so in relation to numbers, what did we find? We found that um, so out of the number, so we ah, so we categorized people based on birth, religion, and faith to where they are now. So, 130 participants were Christian, 68 participants were Muslim, and 18 participants were non-religious. Out of those 130 that were Christian, only 12 are now. Out of the 68 that were Muslim, only four are now. And out of the 18 that were non-religious, 204 are now. So what we found was something that related to the trend at the moment was we had a 1,033% increase in people being non-religious now from before, which shows the trend of non-religiousness kind of peaking up at the moment as well. But what we also then saw was a 91 to 94% decrease in people identifying as non as uh, identifying as religious now as well. We had people identify as Hindu, Sikh, Jain, you know, Buddhist, um, Taoist, a number of different religious faiths. The problem was, was that the numbers within those other religious faiths were so low that they couldn't be statistically significant to be used for, for research. So we couldn't count them in. Um, so that's why we looked at Christians and, and Muslims. And interesting, we had more Christians than we had Muslims, um, which is an interesting thought. So that was the first thing we saw. The second thing, what we so we used the conflict tactic scale by Strauss and colleagues, um, and what that um, what that scale basically looks at is assault, serious assault, psychological abuse. So difference between being I don't know pushed to the wall to being threatened to be killed is the difference between assault and serious assault. And psychological abuse has everything from coercion to neglect to um, isolation and, you know, stress and all of those things that you, you know, and all the kind of um, psychological quirks that are there when you, when you decide to leave something as well. So being blamed and being kind of taunted and, and those kind of things. So what we found, and to make it really simple, is that within the study, we we group all of those, you know, we, we group the assault, serious assault and psychological abuse into one category of assault. So we group it into that to highlight that here's the abuse that's happening. And we found statistically it was significant for people from Muslim households who are Muslim apostates um, to, they were more likely to, to face such 
abuse as a result. Um, despite having a lower sample size within the study itself, they were more likely to actually have been victimized through that. Don't get me wrong, um, it's the same, it's, you know, it was still statistically significant from people from Christian households, but not as much as, as your Muslim household. So that's an interesting thought within the study. Um, the interesting part on top of that was that it also looked at negotiation. So as we know, negotiation is a two-way street. It's, you know, how do we understand each other better to then, you know, come to a, an outcome kind of discourse on, on an issue. And that was insignificant throughout. So that's interesting. So the thought that we had for that was that perhaps families are listening to the fact that their family members have decided that they're not religious anymore. The problem is, is that despite listening to that and despite, you know, even taking it on board, it's as if family members really struggle to accept that transition and find that really difficult themselves, which is understandable. They've had an attachment, they built something. Um, and actually that then might cause the lack of negotiation or the fact that the level of support for the apostate might dwindle as we see from being excommunicated or segregated out. On top of that, what we also found, so not just about leaving the faith, was about um, how likely victims are likely to report their abuse to law enforcement within their own um, local areas. Yeah, let's 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 let me ask you a couple numbers questions about this because I need you to interpret the data for me on this. All right, I'll try. Out of your sample, yeah, I mean, if we can, uh, out of the sample that you have, what percentage were uh, Islamic? Um. So let me remember. Because you had a 110 males, 119 females, out of 228 persons. Yeah, but I didn't that. get the um, I didn't get the uh, religion breakdown particular. Although you, although you mentioned that there were issues with that in terms of identifying it, because Christians were labeling themselves as non-Christians or other, if they were JWs, yeah. Mormons, etc. Even though technically those are Christians. Yeah, so it was a little bit tricky because people within, because we use umbrella terms to decipher religious belief we didn't go into the specificity of of the individual sex of it so i think that caused a little bit of um it was a little bit vague on our part um and it was a little bit kind of um um it, it, yeah we that was that was the point in that we didn't we didn't spend enough time looking at the intricacies of that because we wanted to show the academic community whether this was a thing or not Understood. We had 130 Christians, 68 Muslims, and 18 non-religious. So that percentage-wise, that kind of puts us in the bracket that there were near to 60% Christian, 30% Muslim, and then the rest is non-religious. Right. And um, and so you and then interestingly, um that was not that was it's it's only interesting because um I was surprised. Well, maybe not surprised, but the largest faith community in the UK is Christian at 59%. And mm -hmm. the second largest is Muslim at 4.8% of the population. Because a lot of people, because we've got, you know, you've got Catholicism, you've got um, the Church of England. 
Yeah, it breaks like, down. I'm sure the Christian mass breaks down in an inter- in interesting ways. Does Islam break down yeah. in similar ways? Yeah, because you've got you've got Shia, you've got Sunnis, you've got Wahhabi, you've got Sufi, Salafi. Right, um, right. I was aware of Sunni and Shia. I wasn't sure how many other. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, yeah, of course there are. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, we we didn't look. We weren't. Um, sadly, even though we had the opportunity, we didn't gather data on on whether they were in a particular sect of the religious faith. Um, but that's the joys of doing research. You can always do another piece later and figure that out, right? Well, I'll tell you, it's very interesting because it was clear from the numbers you put together that that there is a violence problem uh, in the Islamic community at a higher rate than there is in the Christian community, just based on the numbers. I mean, you're taking a, yeah. you know, and because um, the number of reports, it seems, from what you found of um, what you call this, the, the honor-based, uh, I don't know how, to, it, Izat? Izat, yeah, Izat. that's honor. Yeah. Yes, Izat, so Izat-based violence, and we're actually talking now about real violence that happens in this community, or, you know, within this uh, religious world of, of Islam. Uh, yeah. I don't want to just harp on it, but I just have to talk about it from the percentages, you know, yeah. in your in the in the UK, you have a vastly smaller number of of Islamic believers than you have Christian believers, much bigger piece of the pie. But it mm. appeared that more violence was happening in this much smaller percentage of people, according to the survey that you did. But again, yeah. I know this isn't like you know a smoking gun or something. It's just a pointer to more study, more research. Maybe needs to be done on that. Yeah, am I, I think, interpreting yeah. this incorrectly? I, that's what I really wanted to ask you: is am I yeah. seeing this wrong? Interestingly, because the because we had a this is the thing when you when you when when I argue that it's a worldwide sample, and then you say, "Well, you only got two hundred twenty-eight people. Why do you matter?" And it's kind of like, well, actually, finding a hidden population in two two eight is 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 what happens when you try and find a population that's hidden. Um, oh, of course, and I hope I wasn't communicating that it didn't matter. That was not no, my no, no, point no, I'm with, just, I'm with your sample size. No, 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 of course not. I'm just clarifying. In okay. that, even even if we even if we take the UK as a as an example, where there's a you know majority Christian, smaller Muslim population, smaller as you go, you only have to look at the um, you only have to look at the case study of someone like Salman Rushdie when he wrote the Satanic Verses, and the and the and the the amount of um, <laughs> the amount of hate. Um, that was vested towards him as a result of, of, um, of releasing that book by the Muslim communities, you know, um, in the UK to the point where, you know, Ayatollah Khomeini decided to issue a, issue a, fat, a fatwa against him, for example. Um, so, again, I think what we, what we need to, what we need to be, um, the addition to why the um, reaction might be so severe is that number one, the scriptures, whether it's Christianity, Islam, whichever, the scriptures don't offer any leniency for anybody that leaves. <laughs> we could say that with a lot of conviction. Yeah. So, so we've got kind of written text which goes, you know, this is what happens, and you know, good, you know, 
you know that's that's the that's the that's the fate of them basically so the, the scriptures don't offer any support second it goes against a person's belief structure and it goes against a person's identity formation because it's part of them and it's that strongly part of them as well thirdly that level of community that level of culture and tradition when somebody's being threatened a threat reaction is to fight flight or, or freeze now if the scriptures are providing you with a kind of pass of going well you know this is what happens to apostates good luck to them um and if you feel like your religious belief and your and your identity are being challenged then how do you react to that and the way that people react to that as we know is is not in great means um yeah exactly it's a very primal view of what happens when we're challenged and it's it's human nature um and that's what we're dealing with here i'm not dealing with the religious belief i'm i'm talking about the way that people react to feeling like their sense of themselves is being threatened the apostate themselves is is definitely said that they don't believe in the religious faith anymore and they'll provide their reasons for it the religious faith in itself can be scrutinized because it's an idea it's a piece of you know it's a, it's a text text can be can be scrutinized and it's an ideology that people ascribe to has to be scrutinized nothing is infallible the notion of thinking that you know um quran or a bible is 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 infallible is is not true because it's still written um you know the amount of times the fact that there is you know the fact that um john and paul were in the middle east and wrote for jesus I mean, I'm, I, I'm surprised that there are people named Paul, Luke, and John within the Middle East in the moment. Um, and second, it was still written again. Um, same for, you know, um, for the Quran, it was still written. Um, Muhammad didn't, didn't write it. His followers wrote it because he couldn't read and write. So again, it's, it's a piece of written text. The Vedas, again, they say it's divinely inspired, but somebody had to write the damn thing. So. If somebody's written it then that provides you you know i wrote a, i wrote an academic piece people are going to look at that and they'll they'll scrutinize it as much as they can it's an idea it's a it's a view it's a perspective scrutinize it well exactly it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we then scrutinize a person and going well you're wrong for believing that and your perspective is and your perspective is wrong for that that's that's a homonym and that's that's incorrect well, and that, and you're absolutely right. And from any rational, critical thinking, you know, objective point of view, everything you just said is 100% correct. And in any church in the nation, everything you just said is 100% wrong. Because they will tell you that these books are beyond skepticism or criticism, that they are divinely inspired. Men wrote them, but they wrote them inspired by the hand of God, etc., so so that so they're not even in a headspace where they are at that objective place and so they do have their identity challenged as you mentioned and you take that one step further and you look at you know the way that um Srila Prabhupada in Krishna consciousness writes about non-believers you look at the way that Nichananda kind of talks about non-believers you look at the you know reading the Ramcharit Manas which is the kind of poetic version of Valmiki's original Ramayana by um by Dulcidas, and it's kind of like you look at the way that the non-religious or people that don't believe in in the notion of God in the way that, that they do in the way that they've written it, 
and it's and it's you know they're they're no diff they're no they're nothing more than just the piece of mud underneath somebody's shoe. So if you've got those notions coming through, I mean, like I'm reading the Ramtree Mass at the moment and kind of going through it and kind of scribbling all over the book every time they kind of make a make a statement like that, which happens a lot, sadly. But if the notion of a person being non-religious is seen as something so kind of like unconstitutional, then they are going to be the pariah and they are going to be the outgroup and they are going to be the ones that we then look at in, in kind of spite and go, well, actually, you know what? They don't deserve half the stuff that they, that they say they should. You know, um, they are the traitors of their religious faith because they didn't stick with it, for example. Exactly. And it seems, getting to the next phase of our conversation, that law enforcement seems to be utterly in the dark on these concepts. They have to, you know, law enforcement has its own job, which is not necessarily being steeped in religious lore. But when you're confronted with people who are committing crimes against one another, it, it behooves law enforcement to understand why. So they can contextualize the situation that they are faced with and can, and can apply the law appropriately, yeah. one would hope. <laughs> so what have you found from this that happened? What, what yeah. actually happens? If that's the theory, what actually happens when honor killings and, and honor whatever else these guys get up to? Because I understand they get up to beatings and rape and other things, all mm. in the name of quote-unquote honor um and i can only rationalize that in my own head by understanding that people can make any word mean anything they want it to and can and can believe any they can you know you can twist meaning into anything that's the only way that the word honor and you know this kind of violence go together is people are are have very interesting understandings of of these concepts um but where does law enforcement fall down with this based on what you found? This is, I mean, I mean, it, it fundamentally falls down because we're looking at families and we're looking at communities. So the problem is, or the issue with all of this in its, in a, in a really small nutshell is that people might not know that they're being abused and they might accept it as normality. Those that do know they're being abused by the language they're being told or the actions and you know the fact that they're being hurt, for example, um, be threatened to be killed or things like that. The, the issue is, is that the way that honor works is it's hidden. It's, it's kept within. I think on the second page of my article, I provide a definition of what um, honor-based violence is. And, you know, um, by its nature, it's hidden. Yeah, um, actually, you said uh, honor-based violence, HBV, you say, can be described as follows. A collection of practices used predominantly to control the behavior of specifically women and girls within families or other social groups to protect or defend perceived cultural and religious beliefs values or social norms in the name of honor by its nature hidden it is mainly although not exclusively perpetuated by the victim's family or community and may include collusion acceptance support 
silence or denial when perpetrators perceive that a relative has shamed the family and or community by breaking their honor code. This includes such behavior on the parts of some community leaders. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. On the part yeah, of... So that's within, that's within UK law, right? So that's the yep. definition they use for honor-based violence. Interestingly, gender doesn't really have a notion when it comes to apostate abuse. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's, you know, everybody... Yeah, honor-based violence is not just executed against women or girls. Yeah. Men also, or anyone, can suffer from that. And be victim of it. So... Yeah. When we look at that and we look at why it's a difficult thing for law enforcement, well, no way, no wonder. Um, and, and, you know, we only have to look at the examples of things like, um, you know, we had Victoria Climbier, who was, you know, uh, a case study for Victoria Climbier in the UK. There was um, Shafir Ahmed, who was killed. There was the case of Sabji and Surji Atwell. Um, these weren't apostates predominantly, but these are people who were based on honor and, and, and were victimized as a result. Um, so it's tricky. You're looking at, you know, it's, it's, the same, it's the same concerns that we have, we had when domestic violence, you know, came out and we're like, oh, this is the thing, you know, or, um, you know, uh, the way that husbands abuse wives and things like that. You know, is this really a thing? Like, do, how do we even find that? How do we even know about that? How do we know about forced marriage? How do we know about female genital mutilation? How do we know about the practices that are happening behind closed doors to be able to um, utilize the appropriate legal framework? Well, firstly, you've got to have a legal framework that can allow you to utilize it. Um, and secondly, therefore, you need a police force that can then do it. The UK are very good in that regard when we look at the way that domestic violence is tackled, honor-based violence is tackled, forced marriage, female genital mutilation. The police in the UK has done really, really well to kind of understand it, really understand what the culture issues are and being able to provide officers with that level of training so that they can work with families. Again, similar notion here, but in countries where it's not a thing or where it's not understood or where there's still blasphemy laws, <laughs> you know, like we're basically just failing the victim based on the legislation because not only are the family then abusing that victim, so is the state because they don't even accept the fact that you can do that. You only have to look at the current um, case in Nigeria with Mubarak Bala, who's been arrested on, um, on the cause of insulting religion um, and has been taken to Kano, which is primarily um, enforced within Sharia law. And we still don't know if he's alive or not. Nobody's got hold of him yet. So you only have to look at, you know, and you look at Aisha Bibi in, in Pakistan when she decided that Islam wasn't for her and she accepted Christianity. Um, and, the, and, the, and the difficulties that caused within that nation, you only have to look at the way that, I think it's um, uh, Malaysia or Singapore or Indonesia kind of, um, you know, they, they kind of, the way that they, they look at apostasy or even Saudi Arabia or even some parts in the United States. So law enforcement, how are they ever going to know this is an issue when social norms within that locale have accepted that, well, you can't insult it. You can't insult religious faith. So if you do, then whatever happens to you happens. You, you made the mistake. Um, putting a Facebook post out there of insulting religion or questioning religion can be seen as insulting religion and cause Mubarak to be arrested for it. So law enforcement has a very tricky job 
if they are to protect people within their nation state, then they also need to look very closely at the legislation that they have as to how that legislation will actually help people that are being abused. Because if you have a nation state with blasphemy laws, you're not going to help the apostate that's being abused because your legislation believes that they deserved it. There's a problem. Exactly. So you know, I, I'm looking at your definition here of this, and I'm realizing now as we're talking that a lot of the activities of destructive cults, uh, when they are um, engaged in retribution against, revenge against former members, you know, what goes on in Scientology, let's talk about that as yeah. a case study, right? Disconnection yeah. is one thing, shunning, that's a fairly common practice amongst a, oh, lot, of, a lot of groups, but fair yeah. gaming is a term in Scientology for, it's a label that they give, so you're fair game, we can come after you, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna go make a legal complaint because, you know, we're, we're gonna be, we're gonna forgive all the Scientologists who beat you up, yeah. Burn down your house, put a snake in your mailbox, you know, uh, flat, you know, flat your tires, whatever they do, key your car. We'll forgive all of that officially as a religious body because that person is fair game. They get whatever they, you know, they get because they deserve it. That is done because the Scientologists hate that guy because he's dishonoring Scientology. And I had and this, not really thought of it from that angle before, but that is an appropriate way of looking at that. It actually is honor-based violence. And add, I mean, adding to the complication of this as well, a lot of religious people will say this goes completely against what the religious faith aims to do. And 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 you know, this is this is the point in that it's. I think I think my 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 conclusion on the or the thought of the study is to go. Is to not go, here's a problem in Scientology, in Islam, in Christianity, in Hinduism, and da, 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 da. it's going, here's what people are doing in the name of Scientology, Islam. Bingo. That's and right. And that's the difference. So I'm not targeting a religious faith. I'm targeting the way that people are utilizing that to rationalize their view that they're fair game. Beautiful. And, and that is that is that is beautiful because it does embrace the entire picture. And you're absolutely right. It is all a matter in terms of causative agents. It's all a matter of how the religious indoctrination is done in the first place. Because you you're right. You have Christians. You have Muslims who will swear on a stack of Bibles, Qurans, Dianetics books, whatever that their religion doesn't authorize that activity yet it clearly states in the books that it does but it's all a matter of interpretation which is well, really a matter of indoctrination well then don't harm i mean that's the you know you, well you think you, you can you, contradict it and that's the point in that which one are you taking and which, right and the thing is is that i'm not i'm not interested in getting into a kind of scripture warfare with somebody who knows them back to back and going well da, 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 because right. That's not my game, and that's not the purpose, and the aim isn't to, you know, in, is to do that. It's, it's to do what I said to do, which is looking at the decisions that people are making where we're harming other people and we're abusing other people. As, you know, I've got, um, I mentioned Sabjit um, Atwal, she runs a charity in the UK called uh, Truana. Um, 
where her sister-in-law was um, a bit westernized. So her, her uh, in-laws arranged for her to go to Punjab and supposedly got her killed in Punjab for having those values. And she was threatened with the same. And um, despite pleading with the police, one police officer who's cried just to, who's a friend, actually agreed, actually um, took the opportunity to look into this story. And I think the mother-in-law and, and her husband were jailed as a result. Now, honor violence is there, like you can see it there. Um, I forgot what my point was, I'm really sorry. But it's, <laughs> but it's, about, it's, about, it's about showing that, you know, it's, it, it's showing how difficult that, that, um, that notion is for law enforcement as well, because they've got to know that it's an issue. Um, well, exactly, and that's and that's kind of the thing. You're going to have, and they don't, atheists. and their legislation doesn't support them either, because in the most nations where these issues are issues are occurring, for example, you look at the heavily endorsed Christians ones or the Islamic ones or whatever, their blasphemy laws stop the police or law enforcement from going. We know, you know, even if abuse is going on, well, actually, they've 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 caused that, and and that means that. It needs that means that nations basically need constitutional reform of going blasphemy blasphemy laws no longer need to exist. Um, I mean, only Scotland have only recently got rid of this, for example. Wow. Well, and this wow. is this is where we really do need to get into the 20th century and come out of the Stone Age, and that's and that's a lot of countries. And I 21st. definitely I definitely get your point. 21st, what? 21st century. Oh no! I'm, no, no! I'm okay with the 20th. <laughs> they oh, okay. can come up to the twentieth. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, much less the twenty-first. I'm I'm not asking too much. Okay, just come to the twentieth. Yeah. <laughs> but my point was, um, this is why academia needs to get on board with what you're talking about. Needs to start looking into this because they can often lead the way with intelligentsia and with the with the educated folk. And there's the guys who tend to move forward into legislation. You know, so the what, people who get yeah. there are the people who get educated and the educated the educators don't have the literature to, to do this work yet to to provide that education so that these legislators can then enact laws that are not insane <laughs> that, i mean is that the chain of events we're trying to we're trying to sort of motivate here or be a catalyst well, for well we can highlight that of the 154 people who were assaulted within our study only nine of them reported it right so that's 5.8% or something right. ridiculous like that. Out of the 71 people who said that they didn't report their abuse or their assault and things like that, 44% believe that it would be disrespectful to family dynamics or a betrayal of the family. 27% said the police wouldn't be able to help them anyway. And 10% were threatened with repercussions if they ever dared to do it. So we have victims within this study showing that they are at risk, which is the first issue. Second issue, they have no um, faith that their, their law enforcement will actually understand what they're going through and take that as an issue, which means that we're then increasing the likelihood for, again, for hidden wrongdoings to occur and them to be concealed by social norms. We're basically allowing and facilitating the abuse to occur because we wonder and struggle with the notion of can we critique that and are we racist for doing it i don't care there's abuse going on 
you've got to challenge it. And the problem is, is that as society kind of progresses, we need to become more able and more comfortable with challenging the ideas that people hold. So in the perspective that people are being abused, we're then more likely to be able to tackle it. The moment we provide it a platform where we struggle to question it as law enforcement, who should should not really have that concern, but the moment the law enforcement isn't able to do so, and neither will the legislation allow them to do so with blasphemy, etc., then all we're doing is creating a hidden population that's bigger than we know. This is just a tip in the iceberg, and that's the beauty of a study in that it's only the people that were brave enough to actually be counted and provide them themselves the opportunity to be counted. So right. how do you move this ball down the road now? Because this is a start, like you said, you've started something. And yeah. I'm talking to you about it because I think it's important. I yeah. think there's a whole lot of people in the atheist community who are going to think that this has a lot of value. I hope they look at your paper. I hope they read it all the way through. It's really only a few pages. It's not that hard to get through. Yeah, it's not like I was surprised. I actually, because some academic papers are <laughs> not that. Um, so this is so this is good. It's a start. Uh, it definitely shows that there is a situation of hidden abuse, as you as you mentioned. So now what? How do we how do we propagate this? How do we promote this? How do we uh, get more academics to pay attention to this and take this matter seriously so that more research that counts, not just memes and, and YouTube videos, but, but you know, work that people are going to rely on and fall back on, how do we, how do we get that happening? It's, it's kind of like, um, so I've been obviously with COVID at the moment, I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank. So it's the question that Kevin O'Leary always asks is, um, how are you going to scale? There you go. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's exactly, I should have, I should have just said that, <laughs> I, but I never watched Shark Tank. So I didn't know that was a good question. I'll use that in the future. Uh, so, um, you know, how are you going to scale something that you did in, in little old England really? So the, the, the interesting, the, the interesting point is that it's, it's twofold. The first one is academics. So with the, 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 the very fact that this is the first piece of academic um, research which looks at the abuse of apostates and argues they're hidden and argues it's happening and argues that there's issues with law enforcement worldwide as an issue means that it's applicable wherever you are. So that's, I'm glad that we didn't just bottleneck it to the UK. So that's the first thing, which means that any academic in, in any sphere of any academic university campus can pick it up and go, oh, here's an issue. Are these guys correct? Are they right? Are they wrong? Can I do more work on it? Can we, you know, can we test it and can we figure it out? And, you know, can we understand it a little bit more? And you know what? There might be more academics that look at this and go, these guys don't know what they're talking about. And they will rip it and they will rip it to shreds and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll critique it and scrutinize it and, and produce a paper that basically questions what the hell have we done and, and what we spent the last five years trying to write. And the moment that happens the, is the moment where academia starts talking about it. So me having conversations with yourself, 
me, you know, um, because of COVID, the a couple of conferences that I put myself forward for weren't able to go ahead, but they will the year after. So the moment that those things also happen where, you know, more uh, academics within the area can become accustomed to knowing that this exists means that that will get the conversation going amongst the academic community. And basically signaling the whole point of this, and I'm glad that the stats and I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did, the whole point of doing this has become to identify to the academic community that people are being abused and you don't know. On top of that, what it's there for, and the second prong of it, is to provide activists with the opportunity to go, hey guys, you know all the stuff I've been saying along, like the difficulties and how traumatic it is, and you know how you know how difficult and how arduous and how the struggle and why it's real and what's behind it all. We finally have an academic piece that tells you. There it is. So the first prong is academic, definitely, because it's scientific and psychological research needs academic rigor and it needs to be questioned and, and looked at and going to conferences and getting the word out there is part of that. The second prong of it is that, yeah, there are a lot of non-religious people that will look at this piece of research and go, haha, found it, here we go, let's use it. And, and fair, fair play, like they can use it in those arguments. What I want, what I want people to understand from this, because the problem with the research is that it can also be taken in another way. So we've looked at Islam really, really um, um, shortly, uh, um, previously, really quickly. Having a piece of research where we're arguing that you're more likely to, um, your you know, higher likelihood of receiving abuse for leaving a religious faith within a Muslim household, Christians not so far off, is it provides people such as your Ben Shapiro's and Tommy Robinsons and you know, the uh, you know, the Tim Allens of the world or, you know, to, to look at this and go, ah, I told you, <laughs> the religions have fought and, you know, they can use it in a way which we weren't wanting it to be used. And that's why I'm very careful in the way that I talk about it. But if anything, it provides those religious people that go, how dare people use the religious faith as a rationale for abusing another human being? Right. You know, right. how you know, how dare they use that? And and it's true, like how dare they use the the ideology of, of Islam or Christianity as a rationale for abusing another human being just because they have a difference of perspective. Um exactly. And, and it provides that. the empowerment for that rhetoric to hopefully also come out in me going, you know, this is where it this is where it differs from previous kind of um, atheistic kind of non-religious stuff and going, I'm not targeting the person. I'm targeting the fact that there are people using a religious faith to abuse people. That's a different argument to the, you know, Islam's at fault here. Mm. Mm. It can still be used with that. You know, you can get, you know, you can get, um, you know, I'm sure one day there might be an opportunity in the future to talk to Sam Harris about what this actually means perhaps in going well actually let's pick it apart and are we then targeting the religious faith because where does where do all the ideas come from right oh there's no question that 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 will be done and it, i'm done. actually encouraging that to be done uh, to you know those who <laughs> yeah, follow then, me because sam that's harris, another way of getting the word out there you know sam harris come and knock on my door yeah my email at the bottom but i think the the argument is is that you know it's, it's, it's looking at human behavior going, what are they doing when they're threatened? Right. 
what they're doing when they're threatened. Right. Exactly. Um, but we have, to, we have to be honest about the fact that that religion has an undue influence on people's behavior and thinking. You know, religion does, ideology does. So the way that we, yep, the way too. that ideology works, and it works. Now, you know, you look at the political left, you look at the political right, you look at the way that ideology works. They're not that different. Um, <laughs> and leaving either one within a liberal state, not that different. Um, you know. I keep trying to bring this up to people and they keep like telling me to stay in my lane and not talk about politics. And I, and I, it is exactly for what you just said that I can't. I'm saying that if an, this is the way that ideologies work, right? Right. So whichever one you, uh, whichever one you assign to, whichever one you believe in, whichever one you hold dear, whichever one you believe in principally, find the differences. Um, the, the thing is, it's, it's based on the way that people then use it. Right. Because just because it's written doesn't mean you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you still have to, you still have to kind of go through the processes of going, I'm going to, I'm going to use that notion and, and do X as a result. So again, the next steps are, firstly, the academic community need to, you know, all the people that have talked about domestic violence, IP, you know, intimate partner violence, you know, uh, sexual abuse, uh, uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence, uh, and honor-based violence and all of that and everything put together. They're the people that need to look at this and go, oh, here's an additional one we hadn't added in. Good. The scientific community needs to look at it and go, okay, what are they saying? Is there merit in that? By all means, go for it. On top of that, I need people, we need people, the moment the academic community starts talking about it is the moment that governments also start being clued upon, here's something. And point. the exactly point of this that. is that if there are more and more people in official positions that look at this piece of research, accept the flaws because it's the first one there and go, actually, you know what? Even if it is the first one, there are victims that are being abused that we don't know, and neither are, neither is that within the legislation. Maybe we need to step up. Exactly. We're failing people, and that's the point. The whole point of this is that it's not about which religion's worse than the other, which ideology. You know, you're not. We're not sending out. You know, we're not playing. Um, you know, this isn't the UFC of religions. Right. This is this is literally looking at the fact that we're failing people by not identifying that this occurs. So, what do we do? Governments need to stand up and go. Actually, this is a thing. Good. People in government holler at me. I'll I'll I'll, I'll come and talk to you. Um, you know wherever you're at, and that's the point. And that's where that's where things like this then get raised as going. Well, actually, this this exists, and people are going through that. I mean, the amount of people I spoke to when I did the study that are religious, and I'm just like, people leave. Or hey, people get abused for leaving. Like people don't even know that it happens. Of course they don't. Of course. And and you know what? That's that's partly just because it's the same way as I was when I was Hindu. Perfectly happy. Why would I leave? I was perfectly like everything was fine. <laughs> Why would I leave? It worked. Right. For example. So right. so those are the next steps. And doing, you know, having conversations with yourself having conversations with more people in trying to highlight that issue and getting more people to become aware of it 
and trying to I'm trying to highlight that this isn't an anti-religious piece of academic um, work is necessary so that people who are religious don't get threatened by what's written within it. Sounds it's not about buying. It's about going. This, you know, people are being abused. That's that's the bottom. Sabji always says, you know, that's the bottom line. People are being abused. Like, abuse is abuse. Like, I don't care which way, which reason you give me. So, again, I don't care which religion you use. Fair enough. Well, I think we've painted a pretty clear picture here, and uh, and I think it's certainly enough to point in the right direction. And like I said, I'm, I've got links to the to this paper you've written. Now, also to reaching you directly. Um, people might have questions about that, want to know how mm. to reach you. So your email is uh, harry.k.parek at gmail.com. Yeah. I've got that in the notes below. And they can also find you on Twitter at Mr. Harry Parek. Yeah. <laughs> I'll link also below. So... Um, What's where are you going next with this? Are you doing another study on this, or are you trying to drum up that, or what are you working on now? I think I think at the moment the aim is let's get people let's get people let's get people to know that this exists Good. because the whole point of this is and this is this is the privileged position that I'm in is that I didn't go through any of this. I am an apostate, but I didn't suffer the same way that these people have and countless others have. So I'm in a very privileged position to say, what I've done is I had an opportunity to write a master's thesis. And I decided to do it on behalf of the people that are currently hidden and struggling and are abused to say, let's give them a voice and let's identify to the academic sphere that they exist. The fact that that's come in, that's created a publication and it's an actual piece of research that's open-ended so anybody can read it is, is fabulous because anybody and everybody, as long as they got the link, can go and read the whole thing without worrying about paying 30 quid to um, a journal um, is a big thing because what we've done is we've provided the opportunity for people to know that it exists. So on behalf of all the people that are currently in a position where they feel they can't leave or they can't do this or they can't do that and they feel stuck and they're in the middle of abuse or even with COVID and they're isolated and they can't get out of their home at the moment and they don't have the opportunity to leave, it's on behalf of all those people that this study came out. So as a result of that, if we can get as many people to know that this piece of work exists, hand in hand, what we're then doing is getting people in hopefully um privileged positions of power to then go oh where do we stand on that and that's where places like that's where nation you know governments in nations can then question that heck that's where things like amnesty international and the un can look at their definitions of abuse and look at it and go actually we missed this excellent yeah. excellent man well thank you very much for taking the time to tell me about all of this and uh, and reach out to me and get in touch with me because I think this is valuable and I am definitely on board with everything you've said here about getting this stuff out there and drumming up more interest in this. And eventually this is how change occurs. It's slow. It's way, way too slow, slower than any of us would like, but it is a process and the process is at least now going 
and we can move that ball down the road, as I'm as I'm keen to say. Uh, now there's a ball on the road to move, and it, it yeah. it's shocking to me. The most shocking thing about our conversation has been the awareness of how few people are actually aware of this in the first place. Because this is my world. So I'm like all about this stuff, right? And so of course yeah. you assume everybody knows what you know, which is completely unfounded, totally unwarranted way of thinking, but you know, I'm human, so. It's, I, think, I think the best way to visualize it, which makes it make sense, is how do you know there's no domestic violence happening in the, in the house next to you? How do you know? Right. And you don't. Right. How do you know that a child isn't being abused? How do you know that a family member isn't being abused in, in your community or the next door neighbors, whatever? You wouldn't know because the moment everybody walks outside, they're all happy, you know, people are people. And the way that the definition works for it is secretive and it's hidden and welcome to the difficulty of it. But to the people that you know and the people that listen to you frequently and the people that you've spoken to as well, it kind of provides them with a piece of evidence to go, oh no, what I went through, no, there's no, it's, it's, it's this, this thing's real. Like this isn't just, you know, you can't just look at me and go, oh, I'm a crazy person who just got out of religious faith and don't believe anymore. And, and therefore you can't trust me. No, 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 no. This is a thing. Like this, this exists, and they don't have to then point to. It's like at the moment with the with the with the um with the, with the COVID pandemic, where you know people are using YouTube as a reason to you know create control, you know, to create um, conspiracy theories as to this is not being real or whatever. No longer does the person who's been through this. No longer does the activist who's been shouting about this. No longer does a person who feels that they're isolated and alone has to feel that they have nothing to back them up apart from their own story. They now have a scientific paper that goes, you know what, here's the evidence of it, it exists. And I'm just one more added to that. And right. you know what, there's 228 people in there. I bet you there are countless more that we just weren't able to get in the moment of doing that. Yeah, exactly. Cool, man. All right. Well, thank again. Thank you very much. Thanks for the work that you've done and that you will continue to do, I'm sure, as this goes forward. Uh, okay, folks out there, I want to know your feedback on this. I want to hear from you, right? Questions, comments, feedback, leave them in the show notes or rather in the comment section on YouTube. Uh, I'm pointing below because that's where the comment section is on YouTube and or at sensiblyspeaking.com where this podcast is hosted. Thank you very much for coming around and listening to us go on about this at a mad rate. I hope you found it interesting, informative, and educational. And if you did, you consider supporting this channel through Patreon. Uh, that is what keeps the lights on and the show going here. All right, folks. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.